Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. A podcast that likes 4x3 rectangles no matter what their size. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop, streaming live on Mixler on Friday afternoons or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get those perks. I'm Aaron Dicer from YourMovieFriend.com. Each week, I'll be joined by a pop culture guru to chat about movies, television, or whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And we're going television this week. And for our guru, please welcome the one, the only, John Paula. Yo, yo, yo. Glad to be back on the show. Dude, it is so. Thank good you for to having me, back. Aaron. Yeah, um, I always. Yeah, no, this is this is like my sixth or seventh time, I think, on Sift Pop, and uh, I, I I feel very welcome here. It's wonderful to be back. Uh, you are an OG guru for sure, and we love having you on to talk movies. But I'm excited to talk TV with you um, because I know you're one of my movie guru friends who keeps up on the world of television as well, which I have been having. I, I would I would say to to a to a to a degree. I try to catch all the big uh, network pilots. I don't follow all the shows, but I'll try to at least watch the first episode of a lot. And anything that's big on streaming or premium cable, with the very notable exception of Game of Thrones, I've watched and probably enjoyed. Um, but yeah, schedules are full. This year, I only picked up like four or five new shows. Um, and we'll see if I stick with them through the end of the season, but... I'm excited to talk about everything. You can tell we're, uh, you know, pop pop culture uh, aficionados when we use phrases like only picked up four or five new shows. <laughs> <laughs> to to be fair, some of them are very short orders, so it wasn't yeah. a huge commitment for me. Sure. No, I totally get it. Um, yeah, and I'm kind of the same way. I do my best uh, since I kind of made the move into movie criticism uh, in a professional sense. My TV viewing went way down because I started seeing every single movie that came out. Uh, and I know you see a, a ton of movies as well. In fact, I bet you've seen more movies than me this year um, because my number's down a little bit. 391. Oh, yeah. You've got me covered easy. Um, so I'm not as able to watch as much television as I used to, but I love at least once a year coming on the podcast, talking about television that we're enjoying talking about new television that people might like, and just kind of focusing on it a little bit. And I still feel like fall is the best time to do that, even though there's new stuff coming out all the time now. I think for me, growing up in an era when fall was when you know TV debuted. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think traditionally September was when new TV came back. 
Uh, but these days, uh, Game of Thrones premieres in May. Stranger Things is late October. Westworld, I think, came out in like March or something. Um, it's just whenever, whenever they want, really, and um, which is great, I guess. There's there's always a, like a plentiful amount of TV shows premiering at any given time between Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, Showtime, broadcast, cable. Like it's. It yeah. is like we are in the golden age of TV, my friend. Absolutely. And I think that is kind of the modern era. But as far as like when to do a show like this, I still feel like fall is the time. Um, just because. Yeah, no, abs- I, absolutely. That's when the network shows come out. And even even with, you know, stuff coming out all the time, I'm always going to have it like built into my like TV calendar clock internally uh, that this is the time to get excited about TV. Plus the Emmys, the Emmys still go fall to fall. You know, so they still do their awards, um, you know, based on a fall-to-fall that, fall that schedule. Is, um, that is perhaps the most pervasive uh, argument yet, actually, is the Emmys is I – w- I want to say um, September 1 to the next September 1. Yeah, I right? believe that's I correct. That's, yeah, I believe they go, yeah, September to the end of August. So um, – but anyway, so that's why we're doing it now. We love talking television at least, you know, every once in a while. And we had our TV awards recently, but I figured we'll take a look at the new season's kind of stuff we're watching, stuff we're excited about uh, that is kind of fall-based. So before we get into that directly, um, just tell us a little bit about what you're up to, John, these days. Oh, yeah. No, I've been very busy this year. Um, My wife and I are expecting our first child soon, so that's been very exciting. Um, And I recently sort of uh, launched my little Twitch career. So I'm streaming live on twitch.tv slash John Paula. Uh, around three to four times a week. Um, this is sort of in addition and or in lieu of my stuff on YouTube. I do movie reviews over there as well as uh, like travel vlogs and comedy sketches and a few other things. I've sort of been scaling back on YouTube lately in the wake of Adpocalypse. There's not, I'm not really seeing a lot of return on my investments anymore. So I'm, I'm producing less content on YouTube and, and I've sort of shifted maybe not all of my energy, but I would say half of it to, uh, to streaming on Twitch. And that's been really fun. The community there is welcoming and rewarding and fun and lively, and uh, it has been a, a really exciting and, and fulfilling outlet for me the past couple of months since I've been doing it. Yeah, I've been considering it, um, you know, kind of diving into Twitch or diving into live streaming and kind of seeing what kind of what kind of show I could do or come up with. Um, so I'm interested to kind of uh, pick your brain on that probably sometime and just kind of see, you know, what you're finding there, what works. All that kind of stuff. I, I would love to help you uh, make any of those decisions and point you in the right direction. And I think a show like Sif Pop could totally just broadcast as is right on Twitch. Um, and then you have the video element as well as the live podcast. And, yeah, I've, um, I've thought about and that. There, there pl- plenty of people do that. Twitch has an entire category with thousands of streamers every day that do live talk shows like this. And and this is already tailor-made and, and well above – uh, the quality of like 95% of the quote talk show format on Twitch. So I think you would do quite well if you just changed a couple things. You you wouldn't even really have to uh, alter too much else. Yeah, I think I'd probably want to adjust the – this is probably too inside baseball for, for people, so just be bear with me for a second. But I'd probably want <laughs> to um, – I'd probably want to go to lapels for mics – uh, I'd probably want to do a video setup as opposed to just filming kind of the, the audio studio where we have it now. You know what I mean? I would want it right. to be a little more um, visual uh, emphasis 
uh, and really, you know. And while I totally agree, my recommendation for anyone who wants to get involved in a project, creatively or otherwise, is uh, don't make excuses that prevent you from starting. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. get get into it. Like if your first show still has your regular proxy mics and your maybe less than visually exciting audio studio, just do that for the first show. Find out what the audience is like, and then once you sort of get your feet under you, then you can switch to better mics or a better setup as you progress. And I always get hung up on making sure everything looks great on the first episode. And it's like, why don't I just make the episode with whatever I have now, and I'll work on the graphics, I'll work on the music, I'll work on the schedule, and I'll work on the format as the show develops. And I think it's important not to get in your own way with stuff like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And in fact, I'm actually right now uh, the next uh, Patreon goal on my Patreon for <laughs> Your Movie Friend uh, is to take Sif Pop to be a um, a live weekly uh, streaming show. So, um, and I think it's like 150 a month away from that. So, you know, it, it might be closer than I think. Uh, so I, I've been preparing in my brain to do it. Uh, it'll just be interesting to kind of see how it works. Um, so I'm excited to, well, to kind of see luck. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. Thanks. I Happy appreciate to help. it. Uh, all right. Let's get into talking some TV, man. Uh, we're going to break this down as such. We're going to talk about two new shows that we're enjoying. So stuff that's brand new. Uh, we're going to talk about two shows that we're excited are coming back uh, or that are back and two shows that we feel not enough people are watching slash underrated uh and of course we'll do a sift quest and we'll have uh, some buried treasure at the end but let's talk some television let's start with the new stuff uh what's your first new show that you're checking out um absolute favorite new show of the fall season is seth mcfarlane's the orville uh fox thursday nights at nine o'clock it is a love letter to star trek it is a bit of a parody of the old sci-fi dramas that were in syndication in the 1990s next generation and voyager and deep space nine uh, but it's done with seth's um predictable satirical slant it's not laugh out loud funny like family guy uh is or used to be depending on right who you talk to about that show but it, it's like it's like the next generation with with jean-luc picard and Commander Riker, except they occasionally make poop jokes or go to the bathroom, <laughs> and it just it just it just feels like Star Trek if everyone talked normally, casually, conversationally, right. and kind of joked around or made references to old movies, which is something that like it's weird that like in whatever it was like six different shows of Star Trek, they only talk about movies, media, or music in like a couple of them. Yeah, and whereas the Orville, it's it. Much like real life, and for you and I and everyone else, like it's a very real part of our fabric, talking about culture and music and books and things. And I like that it feels uh, authentic and more grounded than Star Trek used to be. But it still carries that pathos of optimism and futuristic utopia and exploration and diversity and coming together and all these things. And it's it's everything I didn't know I wanted. Um, in one fantastic show. And the pilot was kind of weak, but now that it's in five or six episodes, um, I, I, each one I think has been better than the last, and it is easily my favorite new show uh, of the year. Uh, well, we have our first match. Uh, that was one of my two as well that I wanted to bring up. Um, I am very much enjoying it, and, I, and I'm very surprised at how much I'm enjoying it. I am not a Seth. Yeah, no, I, th I, I, I think the surprise is, is can't be understated enough because I went in with very... Um, sort of 
optimistic but measured expectations. I knew what it could be, and I knew what I wanted out of it. But it it has surprised me at the depth and the morality and the emotional weight of some of these stories. Yeah, they're tackling they're tackling subject matters uh, like transgender rights in the third episode, and it was sort of knocking my socks off. Like, wow, this feels like the type of narrative and the type of conflict that Star Trek would have explored had it still been on the air today. Yeah, and that's, that's it, and even though it is infusing it with some jokes, I feel like this this is like the spiritual successor to the next generation uh, that like we didn't know we needed. And I I also feel like even more than the next generation, I feel like OG Star Trek is <coughs> has a lot it's got a lot of that feel to it. Um and I, I was surprised because I, I usually don't like Seth MacFarlane's stuff. Uh, you know, there's a case here or there yeah. where I will enjoy something he's done. I think Ted is very funny. Um, you know, so there there are moments where I dig his stuff. But I was surprised by how much I like his performance here as well. Um, you know, I like how he is not only portraying his character, but just the overall feel of this crew just feels perfect. And like you said, when they're watching, you know, an old episode of Seinfeld on the, you know, the bridge monitor or yeah, whatever, no. you're just that like, was, that was perfect. Yeah. I loved that. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, so the, the humor's great. It's fine. But um, I've, I've been more impressed with just how, how much uh, it honors the original. It feels a lot like, um, to me, it feels a lot like Gattaca, or not Gattaca. I'm sorry, that is completely wrong. Um, Galaxy Quest, <laughs> uh, yes, you know, and it just kind of has that feel where you know what they're going for, um, and yet at the same time, they're not satirizing it in a way that tears down the original. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think the strength of the show lies in the writing and the characters. They seem really well defined. Even just five episodes in, I feel like <coughs> it's a very lived in. And, and realistic relationship between everybody. And Seth's performance, again, I don't expect a lot from him in the acting department, but he's been pretty solid. And he also, interestingly, seems to be playing the straight man in a lot of the situations where he everything else happens around him and he's just sort of our vessel into normal. Right. He is just like the plain white straight man at the center. And like all the weirdos and other races and other things happen to or around him. And I think that was a good... Uh, decision to kind of make him the least interesting person on the show, right? Uh, in, in a manner of speaking, and just um, because and even the visuals and the music have been excellent. Like the soundtrack for this show is is so great. It reminds me of like old Jerry Goldsmith scores uh, for for old Star Trek shows or anything he used to do. And yeah, uh, for for network TV, it it looks better than it needs to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad we're in agreement on that one. Um, I feel like I should do my second one first, then, since I, you know, kind of just jumped on board your first one. Uh, my second, yeah, new, yeah. My second new, it's a theme for me. My second new show that I wanted to talk about was actually Star Trek Discovery. Um, oh, all I, right. Well, that was mine also. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I had. Maybe I should have had somebody else on who has a little differing. Uh, uh, opinion on stuff. No, that's right. I, I, I have a backup option as well. Um, well, let's, yeah, um, so we can you talk, talk about, about Discovery. Yeah, you can talk about Discovery as well. Maybe we can talk about your backup option too. But um, another show I wasn't necessarily expecting to love. And I, it is so Star Trek. And at the same time, it is different than any other Star Trek I've ever watched. Now, I haven't watched all of them. I'm not a completist when it comes to Star Trek. But there's something really interesting that I don't want to spoil that happens within the first episode uh, that 
launches this series in a way I was not expecting. And I've been really impressed with the dynamic of the relationships that result from that launch. Um, If you've seen it, I think you understand what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I don't want to give it away for you in case you want to start at uh, episode one. But um, it has been moving in many ways uh, because of those kind of things that have happened. Now, how how many episodes are you into Discovery? I've only watched the first four, and I think they've aired six. I I think I've watched five. I think I've watched five. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm about five. It, it is unfortunately on CBS's all access platform, which is kind of a cluttered mess. But right. uh, that's neither here nor there. It's not no fault of the show that it got maligned on some badly performing streaming service that's not going to make it past its first year. Right. Um, so Discovery is Discovery is I, I want to say the sixth Star Trek show uh, in Gene Roddenberry's giant universe has been going for fifty, fifty one, fifty two years now. And uh, it, with the exception of the original series from the 60s, I have seen every episode of every show, most oh, wow. more than once. And But all that being said, I went into Discovery with very, very low expectations. Um, the show uh, decided to go in a direction of prequel, which I was not a huge fan of. I wanted to see like post-Nemesis, post-Voyager. Instead, we're going back to the era before Captain Kirk. And that felt like we've already seen two prequels before with the movies and the Enterprise show. I was disappointed that the show got pushed back from a scheduling standpoint not once but twice. And that seemed to me like a red flag. They're having production issues. Sure. And then and then they and then they stuck it on CBS All Access, which to me also signaled that maybe they don't have confidence that it can do well on network. And and this is CBS. This is a channel that greenlights young Sheldon. So I, I had a lot of doubts about the show, and the first two episodes did not really do much to ease those doubts because of what you said. It opens so differently. We are thrust into like a story already in progress. It's a prologue, and where the show actually sort of settles in by the third and fourth episode is so much different than what the pilot seems to suggest. We're, we're like it's a different crew. It's a different ship. And that was, I think, interesting, but I wasn't prepared for like a two-episode prologue with a whole different group of characters that we're never going to see again. And it was interesting um, to to see a pilot that wasn't really indicative of the regular show. Yeah, it's a totally different experience. I'm so often like the pilot is the episode that establishes the format and introduces us to all the characters. In Discovery, you don't meet some of the main characters until like the fourth episode. And I kind of like that more realistic and natural storytelling, but I wasn't ready for it. And I think looking back, had had I known, I would have maybe liked the pilot more. As it is, uh, much like the Orville, I'm finding myself liking it each episode more than the last. Whereas the first, I was like, eh, I don't know. But by the end of the fourth episode, I was like, okay, this is actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I I have uh, fallen in love with it for sure, and I, again, was not expecting that. And I think it's interesting because we come from, you know, you as a completist, as, would you call yourself a, a Trekkie or a Trekker? Uh, you know, oh, I, yeah. No, I, I, have a, I have a uniform in my closet with a com badge on There you yeah, go. So, you know, you come from <laughs> uber fandom of the, you know, the source material. I come from liking the original Star Trek, watching a few episodes of The Next Generation, and that's pretty much it other than right. the movies. And uh, I think there's I think what it speaks to is that the show is good enough that it doesn't matter where you're coming from. There's a lot to enjoy. So I think that's really good. 
Right. And and I think in many respects, my fandom um, hurt a lot of um, what I wanted to like about it. The fact that the show was aggressively retconning uh, the Star Trek canon is inconsequential to the show itself, but to the greater uh, universe of Star Trek, it's really sort of annoying that the Klingons look so dramatically physically different than they have in any other interpretation. Oh, interesting. And again, this is a show that... This is a show that's supposed to be taking place just like 10 years before Captain Kirk. And it's like, why does the technology look so incredibly different than the stuff that William Shatner was playing around with 50 years ago? And again, that's sort of like nitpicky, um, more um, production-related issues than – like the within the confines of the show, it, it is not a, a criticism. But it is in the greater Star Trek universe. It's kind of like, well, this is weird that it doesn't fit in, and they've changed a couple of things, they've ignored other things. And as a as a fan of the franchise, because it's been around for so long, and we have so many different characters and so much history in that futuristic universe, you want another property to fit into it well. And when it doesn't, it can kind of be upsetting. Sure, totally get that. Well, let's move on to uh, stuff that we. Oh no, you had a. Um... A fallback that you wanted to mention, a new show. Yeah, I, I another show that I <clears throat> watched only a few episodes of, and I've been meaning to catch up, but uh, schedules have been busy, um, is Ozark on Netflix, starring Jason Bateman. I want to say it's only an eight or a ten episode order, and again, I'm about halfway through that. And it's about uh, like a blue collar, no, I'm sorry, white collar dude in Chicago, Jason Bateman, who basically goes into a wit protection style um, retreat. He is involved in drugs. He is involved with criminal activities and a mob boss basically gives him an ultimatum. And just before executing him, Jason Bateman makes up this elaborate excuse and says, wait, 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 I can get all your money back. It's, it's in the Ozarks. There's a big real estate scheme. I have to go down to Missouri and do this. Give me one year and I'll have your like $80 million back. And so he takes his entire family, uproots them, changes their names, moves to Missouri, and then he has to basically figure out how to become a criminal overnight because he wasn't until then. He was caught up in what his coworkers had done and what his bosses had done. And now in order to save his own life and not get killed by a mob boss, he has to become one basically in, in the sort of sleepy resort community of southern Missouri. And Bateman is uncharacteristically uh, dramatic and serious and really strong in this. He's um, so good. And I've been really, really enj- – he is he is so good. And it's a very different project for him. But I, and I've never seen it, and I shamefully I've never seen uh, Breaking Bad, but I feel like it shares a lot of parallels to that. Sure, yeah, a lot of um, same it also has It also has uh, Laura Linney in it, who is an excellent actress. And it just this – that's sort of what-if scenario. Like what if you uprooted your family and tried to become a criminal kingpin in some town you've never been to before? How quickly could you ramp up to save everything you've ever cared about? Because if he can't pull it off, then he's dead, his family's dead, and he can't enlist the help of the government or the FBI because then he'll tip off the mob guys. So it's it's a really interesting show, and, and the pilot sucked me in instantly. And it, it is definitely the kind of show that could be easily binge-watched. But I um I got three episodes in and then got busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have seen the whole thing. It's wonderful. I think I've talked about it before on the podcast. I I, oh, okay. I love it. Uh, probably mainly due to the fact that it's based on my true life story. 
um, in the reason oh, that yeah? we moved down here to the Ozarks. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that, uh, that uh, this, yep, this yep. podcast. Um, I, I, I assumed you had heard of it at the very least on account of the fact <laughs> that you live around there. So, yeah, this podcast network is actually a front for laundering uh, drug money, and not a lot of people realize that. So um, it's good to finally have that out in the open. Would, would you agree with any of my assessment, though? Is this, is this the kind of show you really liked worth finishing? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's spectacular. Okay. And uh, Bateman continues to impress me. I don't know if you ever got around to seeing The Gift. Um, uh, it's just a phenom- I did. It was excellent. Yeah, was phenomenal so film. Yeah. And he has a lot to do with, with that uh, as well. Joel Edgerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a solid I, I, I've always known he could play uh, dramatic well. I think as is the case with most comedians, in order to have impeccable comic timing, you also need good dramatic timing. And um, we've seen time and time again from people like Robin Williams or Jim Carrey, like the best comedians are uh, not surprisingly also really, really good at drama too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No good whereas, choice. Whereas I can't I, – and I, and I can't say that the reverse is always true. Like the best dramatic actors, like I've never seen Daniel Day-Lewis crack a joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't I'm know. just saying. Some of that Lincoln stuff was pretty funny. I think he understand, understood the humor there. <laughs> understood what was going on. Uh, good choice. Sorry, those are, those are my three shows, yeah. Yeah, good choice. I love the Ozarks. Uh, so let's talk about stuff that you're glad is back. What's your favorite stuff that is making a return uh, for at least a second season. Um, why don't you kick us off? What's what's one of yours? And if we have um, the, if we have the same my... if we have the same two again, by the way, it's just over. We're just done. <laughs> we'll close up shop. All right, all right. Um, both both of these shows. Uh, actually, I, I I picked out four in the event that you have we have some doubles, and all four are actually only in their second season, um, which I think speaks to the TV landscape. There's a lot of turnover now. Not a lot of shows get past like the third or, or fourth season. Uh-huh. Uh, my first one has to be The Good Place, uh, which I know you love. That's and one of mine as well. ending, <laughs> yeah, no, and I had a feeling you'd pick it. Uh, uh, Christian Stewart and uh, Ted Danson. It is the funniest and the cleverest show on network TV right now. Um, it airs, uh, what is it, every Sunday on NBC. And it's about the afterlife, about heaven. And the incredible twist ending of the first season it, it, it blew my mind. I, I so loved it. But I thought, how are they going to take the second season? What is going to – like if the first season ended in a way that basically nerfed any potential follow-ups. Right. But the direction they've taken this second season, every episode is just like I had no idea where they were going with it. And I loved every second. It's so good. And it has been so fun and so clever. And, and somehow like I think the second season is stronger than the first because they're still within the premise – of like someone out of place in the afterlife, but they've doubled down on that in really interesting and clever ways. And all the performances are incredible. And just the quirky little jokes and the gimmicks and the visualizations of what this version of the afterlife resembles is just so great. And we talk a lot about Kristen Stewart and Ted Danson for good reason. They're the, you know, they're the most known of the cast, but man, that foursome uh, with Chidi oh, so and I mean all of them, all four of Tahani, them, are, yeah, are Danu. so perfect. And uh, I just I'm every it is right now currently because Game of Thrones isn't on. It is the show I <laughs> I am most like I got to get it watched. It is the first one if it's on my you know DVR so to speak. It's you know it's what I'm watching because I just it's so much fun. Oh, I I I don't think the red light has actually turned off. Yet when I watched it, I, I'm watching that show before it finishes. 
I, I usually wait a few minutes so I don't have to sit through commercials, but I'm watching The Good Place pretty much when it airs because I can't wait any longer. Yeah. And it's, and it's so rough because it's 22 minutes, and I'm like, I need another seven hours of this <laughs> just pumped right into my TV. I don't want to wait another six hours, six days and 23 hours. Like, I need it now. Totally. It's so short. And I would highly, highly recommend The Good Place. Uh, that is one of my two. You, I was going to say, and if you recommend The Good Place, I recommend you absolutely have to start from the beginning. And it is it is so fun to watch from the start and see things uh, sort of unravel. And uh, it, it just goes in so many unique places and, and oh, directions sure. that I, I can't recommend. If you, but again, if you do watch it, you have to start from the pilot. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I'll go ahead and give my second one then. Uh, my second uh, show I'm really glad is back. And I think it is further past its – I think it's in its third season. So I don't think you have this one. Um, is – it may even be in its fourth season. It's Last Man on Earth. Uh, I This is the other show I have to get to right away. It's so funny. It's so wonderful. Um, it is such a perfect vehicle uh, for these actors. And it, one thing I love about it is it deals in cameos in one of the most interesting and fun ways I've ever seen a show deal with cameos and i saw the jack black one that was great (laughs) yeah and you know will ferrell has cameoed on it Kristen wig of course is you know on this season um and you know jason sudeikis was on for a little bit it just it has an interesting way of letting these amazing comedic actors and actresses kind of you know come in and out of this world which for a tv show called the last man on earth uh it you know very quickly became of course more than the last man on earth uh, yeah, no, I, they they kind of they kind of abandoned that concept by like episode three. Yeah, um, you might not remember this, Aaron, but we actually talked about the pilot of Last Man on Earth. I want to say in the first episode of Sif Pop, I guest starred on, which I want to say was like two two years ago, around now, like yeah. September twenty fifteen. Yeah, when the show came out, so we, I think it's in its third season. And I watched the pilot, and I watched the second or third episode, and I. Stopped there, unfortunately. And one of these days, I think I will catch back up. Oh, it's but worth it. But once a week, uh, once a week, um, I have my TiVo set to overrun 10 minutes for uh, The Simpsons because football often pushes it back a right. bit. Right, yeah, yeah. And whenever, I fin- and whenever I finish watching The Simpsons on my DVR, I notice that I have 10 minutes of Last Man on Earth. And like every week, I find myself watching the first 10 minutes <laughs> without knowing anything else about it. And like even though I don't know, I didn't see the last 20 minutes of the last week – I'm like, I don't care. This is funny. And I've done that like three weeks and I've done that three weeks in a row now. Just what I'm like, I should really should just should just record the whole show yes. instead of watching 10 minutes. <laughs> just get it out of the DVR, but it's, man. It's, it really it really is very funny. Even just the small portions I've watched, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, Will Forte, it's such a perfect vehicle for him. And uh, I just I'm I'm really glad it's on the air and I'm glad that it's continuing. It's so interesting and quirky and fun. So. That was my second one. What's your second one? You're glad's back. Uh, designated Survivor. Yeah, talk to me about I, that. Uh, I'm starting lo- to to sour on this show. Really? Yeah, just a little bit. I, I I I can I can see that. I think this past episode, this last week, episode two oh three or two oh four, where they dealt with uh, a border crisis with uh, trucks at the Mexican border, was probably the weakest episode of the entire series. Um, and that's largely because they finally sort of conquered the existential terrorist threat that had plagued the entire uh, sort of conceit 
of the show. The entire right. premise of the show is that the State of the Union is bombed, the Capitol is exploded, and everybody in the presidential cabinet, Congress, and Senate are killed, with the lone exception of our title character, Kiefer Sutherland, the uh, the uh, what's his the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, who's thrust from like number fourteen on the succession list to ruler of the free world. And Kiefer nails it. It's an excellent premise. He's a fantastic actor. It's West Wing set in the 24 universe. And the first season was so very strong. But this season, I feel like without that terrorist threat, it feels a bit more like West Wing, but like watered down and a little bit too simple, a little bit too idealistic. And I, I'm, I'm not liking the second season as much, but I'm going to stick with it uh, because I think the premise is strong. The actors and performances are excellent. And I will literally watch anything Kiefer does. Um, but I, I still really like it. I look forward to it every week. It's on tonight. Uh, it's on ABC's Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Um, and, I, and I hope it does well. But I did see a headline earlier today that it was it moved from possible uh, renewal to on the bubble for season three. Ooh. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. Yeah. According according to like, you know, the, the TV odds makers, whoever they are. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I'm still enjoying it well enough. Like you said, Sutherland's performance yeah. is really good. Uh, I, I actually like the idealism. Uh, it makes me all warm inside. Oh, I, I, I think I think it's the it's the show we need right now in, in such a turbulent political climate. Every time you turn on the news or Twitter, it's some other scandal. And I feel like retreating into this show that gives us a more optimistic version of our government where they actually work together and solve things is, is really nice. It's like a big pint of ice cream at the end of a long day. But... Um, I don't know. It, it feels like it doesn't have any teeth. If that makes sense. Yes. No. Totally. Yeah. That's what. That's what I was gonna say. I like the I like the idealism, but you know, it does it make it feel a little inauthentic at times, um, and and I can definitely see that. Uh, it reminds me in many ways of the feeling I got watching Dave. Um, the first time the movie Dave with uh, Kevin Klein, the idea that and I love Dave. That is yeah. a great film. Yeah, it's one of my favorites as well, and I think it is because. We just we long for the idea that uh, you know politics could get put to the side and an actual human being <laughs> could make decisions <laughs> based on common sense and love and decency as opposed to who it you know uh, trying to curry votes on bills and politics and it's just I would love yeah. to live in a world where somebody got to try that and. Uh, and at least you know see how it would work and uh, and it's certainly not the world that we have lived in yet so it definitely bears a lot of similarities to dave that sort of every family man thrust into the position of power and instead of political experience he has to rely on common sense and ethics and it's like wow big shocker that it's actually probably a good idea yeah <laughs> and it's it's remarkable what like giving a, giving a regular moral person power like, hey, maybe f just for once it doesn't corrupt. Right. And I know there's an old adage that, like, I forget who said it, um, but, like, anybody who seeks out the office of president is is disqualified because they seek out the office of president. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like the, the, ty the type of personality that seeks that level of power disqualifies themselves from holding that power. And I think designated survivor uh, flips that on its head, and it's the opposite. Like, he's he's put into a position of power he never wanted. And, you know, how does he deal with it and how does he respond? And it, um, it's been really, it's, the first season was really strong and, and I, I really want to, to see the second season do as well, but it is so far not, not up to par. Yep. I agree. 
Um, let's move on to underrated. What are a couple shows that you wish more people were watching? Um, I'll go ahead and start this one uh, since you start, started okay, the other okay. two. Um, I'm going to start with one that I toot the horn for as much as I can uh, because I don't feel like enough people realize how amazing a show it is, and that's Survivor. Um, I think it gets stamped with that reality television label that's got that reality TV stink on it. And it is so far above most of that stuff, uh, both in production value, entertainment value, human storylines, you know, the way we interact as human, the human psychology of the show is incredible. Um, That is, it is a show that I've been surprised how well uh, they have held up all these years. And I think a lot of it has to do with they've kept the same um, production team really from the beginning and have just committed themselves to making the show as great as it can be. So it's another great season. I'm already enjoying it. Uh, I like how they kind of alternate between brand new people interacting together and then also people you've met from other seasons interacting together. Um, so I'm really enjoying Survivor, and I, I would uh, I would be amiss if I didn't get a chance to give it a shout-out. That is, I mean, it's interesting you choose it as underrated, and I agree with you on that because it's been such a, a... – a mainstay on CBS now for for 17 years. They said it's what 34th, 35th season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is insane to think of because they do two a year, but 35 seasons puts it I pretty much well past every other form of programming except like Meet the Press and and other <laughs> game shows. Yeah, uh, like it's way way up there in terms of longevity. And I, I've always been a Survivor fan. I I picked it up in the second season, uh, Survivor. Whatever Australia. it was, Australia. Yeah. And um, my wife and I, I will say we'll watch like every third season. We, we don't watch everyone. And I think the last one we watched was like maybe three or four seasons back. But we are recording this one, the Heroes versus Healers versus mm-hmm. – what's the third thing? Uh, heroes, heroes, Healers, and, and Hustlers, I think. And Hustlers. Uh, yeah, so I, I I think we might watch this one. I, I don't know why we skip every other season. It's just <laughs> – it's one of those things where we, we don't have time in our schedule to always be watching a Survivor. But yeah. about once a year, we'll, we'll kind of binge watch the 16 episodes. And uh, would, you, would you recommend this particular season over I mean, some of the more I mean, we're only like, ones? you know, four, four episodes in. But yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying some of these players and some of the decisions they're making. That is the evolution of the show has been so interesting to me because you would think that people would. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say it. You would think people would at some point go, okay, it's a game. We get it's a game. We're going to award the person who plays the best game. And yet season after season, the uh, the social element of the game continues to be underappreciated. And you'll see these amazing players who come on, but they don't do a good enough job making friends uh, you know, feeling like the other people care about them, and so they won't get voted as the winner. And it's been interesting to see that balance evolve between playing the game and uh, in a in a uh, you know a game theory kind of way, and then also playing the game in a social way. And it's just I don't know it, the evolution of the way the game is played has been mind boggling. And the last couple seasons have moved away from alliance like solid long term alliances to weekly alliances, to like who can get me through this week. And it's been, it just makes the show so much more um, in the moment because you never know who's going to group together to kind of see what happens. So it's it's interesting to watch the game evolve. Absolutely. 
I've I've always been a big fan. I don't watch it every season, but the seasons I watch, I've always really enjoyed. So what do you got? Oh, for underrated, um, documentary now. Oh yes, which might actually, which which I think might actually be a show I've mentioned before in this exact same category on this exact same subject last year <laughs> or the year before. It is a, uh, it's actually it originally airs on IFC, but I I've catched it, caught it on on Netflix, which is where it resyndicates like three or four months after it's finished on TV. Um, it stars Bill Hader and Fred Armisen of SNL fame. Each episode, it's a, um, what do you call it, a, a anthology program. Each episode is completely standalone and separate, and each episode is a parody of some famous documentary film. Uh, whether that's the Talking Heads' um, uh, concert film, uh, Stop Making Sense, or it's um, that, what's that movie with the guy that makes rice in the subway? Euro Dreams of Rice? Yes, is yeah, yeah, a Sushi. I think is what it is. Euro yeah, Dreams Euro Dreams of Sushi. Yeah, and, and and documentaries now take was Fred Armisen was like a rice uh, chef in like rural Bolivia, and it, they just joked and 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 played up the fact uh, that he's living alone in a little hut in Bolivia, and he farms and hikes for like ten miles a day for like one single grain of rice, and people come all the way out to his restaurant and pay a hundred dollars for like these tiny little morsels and. Uh, it's just so brilliant the way that every individual episode has a unique filming style, narration, presentation, um, editing, graphics, music. They just feel like they're uh, the counterparts they're parodying, and they're just so funny and so excellent. The episode where Documentary Now parodies the uh, Eskimo uh, feature Nanook of the North, mm-hmm. one of the first silent films. One one of the first uh, silent documentaries back in like 1921. Uh, Fred Armisen plays the Eskimo creature, and by the end of it, he's teaching uh, the Western cameraman like how to do a dolly shot <laughs> and like how best to, how best to do a rack focus. Yep. And he's supposed to be this uh, this rural Inuit in the middle of the Alaska uh, the Alaskan frontier or whatever. And it, it just it it sends up every trope of filmmaking and documentaries, and it's just so clever. And funny and understated, and I, I worry it might be too smart for the average viewer. Um, but if you watch a lot of movies, if you watch a lot of documentaries, uh, it, it's just so rewarding. I don't think you have to have seen the documentaries they're uh, they're basing the episodes on to enjoy the episodes. No, I, do, I don't think you do. I think it helps. It helps. And there yes. have been a few instances where my wife and I have deliberately sought out the original first. And then watch their parody, and we got a few more things that we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, but they keep it very, very funny, regardless. Uh, and many of the jokes are are more generalized, and the kind of thing that you can appreciate even without context. Yeah, no, I I act documentary now is great. Uh, I am I am thrilled uh, anytime anybody mentions it because it's such a fun show. And one thing you didn't mention that I think is important, worth mentioning, is that both Armisen and um, uh, Whoa, what's the other guy's name? <clears throat> Bill uh, Hader. Yeah, Bill Hader. Both Armisen and Hader play roles, you know, in each of these episodes. So it's nice yeah, to see yeah. them kind of stretch their their chops each uh, each new episode that comes out. So that's definitely a great one. Uh, the other one I would mention that not enough people watched, and I say watched because it just had its series finale uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, but I would still recommend going back and watching all four seasons uh, is Halt and Catch Fire. Um, this is if you love technology. I have never I've never heard of this. 
Halt and Catch Fire is on AMC, was on AMC, ran four seasons. Um, the amazing, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember all of who stars in it, but it, um, what was the guy's name? Did you ever watch Pushing Daisies? It was one of my favorite shows. That got I'm canceled. looking at to Google, Lee Pace? Yeah, Lee Pace. Uh, he's wonderful. Um, Mackenzie Davis is great. Uh, Scoot McNary is awesome in it. And basically, this show goes through the entirety of the computer um, evolution from the dawn of computers to, I would say, the final season ends up in the mid-90s somewhere. And it's really interesting because it's a show about family and relationships and the complications of humanity. And yet it's this backdrop of technology and how it's changing and how it's changing people. And because all of these people work in the technology business, uh, it goes through those seminal moments of, you know, the discovery of the Internet and what, you know, how that happened and what people were thinking, you know, with, um, you know, how uh, computer gaming changed and just, you know, anything you love in technology, they pretty much deal with in this show uh, in I absolutely think it's it's wonderful, it's heartfelt, it's genius, and not enough people have watched it. And in fact, just like you, not enough people even know it exists. So it's called. Halt I, I and had Catch not heard Fire. of it, and that is. I've heard of a lot of things, so for me not to hear of a show is is surprising. Highly recommend but it. That that sounds like that sounds like a good recommendation. I will add it to whatever watch queue it's in, <laughs> and see if I can uh, uh, track that down. Yeah, it's on AMC, I, so I, I, if you've got, like, the AMC app or uh, – I'm not sure if it's gone to, like, Hulu or Netflix or anything like that, but um, I would definitely definitely see what you can find. Will do. What do you got for your second one? Uh, second piece of underrated uh, – and I, I feel like this is also one that I might have mentioned on another episode of this. I don't know. Uh, is a little show on Amazon called Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And uh, it has only aired one episode, a pilot, a year ago. And it was a trial basis to see if the audience responded favorably. And if they did, it would be picked up for a full order. And thankfully, it has. And the trailer dropped recently with new episodes finally coming out this December. So just on the basis of the one pilot, which I watched over a year ago, I am still looking forward to this and still recommending it. And it's definitely underrated because it hasn't really existed yet. There's only the one uh, feature. But the premise is so brilliant. Um, Former... Action movie star Jean-Claude Van John uh, Van Damme, Jean-Claude Van Damme plays himself, but in this universe, he's actually a secret government spy who uses his washed-up movie career as a cover to take out like enemy targets. So it's like, all right, Jean-Claude, we're sending you to Russia to film this really crappy action movie, but you're actually there to assassinate someone from the Kremlin. And it's a really cool premise where Jean-Claude gets to sort of play up his own, uh, I guess, his own um, personality and his own persona of being like the muscles from Brussels, the guy that can do splits and doesn't have a strong grasp of the English language. And it's also like an excellent send-up of action movies and just exposing all the tropes therein. And there's this great moment at the beginning of the pilot where he's surrounded by a dozen security guards at a power station, and they all swarm around him with clubs and bats and guns and knives, and they're about to take him on one by one. And they're like, wait, wait, uh, are, are you Jean-Claude Van Damme? And he's like, yes, <laughs> yes, I am. 
nice to meet you. And then, and then he's like, but uh, no autograph, we should fight. So right before this mob of people surround him to beat him up and kill him, one of the guys in the back is like, wait, actually, uh, we should probably just do this one at a time so none of us get hurt and we don't hurt each other. And, and it sort of exposes that great trope of action movies where, like, they only ever attack the, the protagonist one at right. a time. Right. And it it is just there's lots of great little moments like that throughout the show and I don't know if it's like laugh out loud funny, but if you like uh action comedies and action parodies, something like uh, the last action uh hero, I think this is the type of show you should check out on Amazon. Nice. Um I, I'm always up for a little Jean Claude uh action and if it's got some some humor in there too, then then I'm sure It'll be amazing. I mean, it's like it's thirty minutes of him making fun of himself. It's great. That's great. I love it when you you got to have a self of humor, a self of humor. Yes, yeah. exactly, a self of humor. Uh, exactly. All right. Before we move on, uh, just a reminder that this is a fan funded podcast network. Sif Pop lives on the Studio DNA Podcast Network, uh, which is the front we use to launder money for a drug lord in Chicago. But <laughs> you can be a part of that. $3 every month uh, helps support. There's some pretty fun perks that go along with it, including your own podcast feed, where you get not only the episodes as the air, but also any bonus episodes that are just available to you. And that comes directly to you through your own special podcast subscription. So if you're interested in that, as well as some other fun stuff, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash studio DNA and uh, support there. Again, it starts at 3 bucks a month. And thank you for considering it and checking it out. And thanks to those who support this podcast and all the podcasts that are on the network. Patrons get those perks. Patrons get those perks. Uh, let's move on to the Sift Quest. This comes from Ethan via email this week. Ethan says, With shows like Game of Thrones and Westworld, the lines between TV and movie continue to blur. Do you think there will ever be a day when TV shows will air each week in theaters as well as on television? I thought that was an interesting question. Uh, kind of gets into the future of content delivery and video content. What are your first thoughts when you hear something like this, John? Like, Do you think that all content will just be between the big screen and the small screen? Do you think there will always be that separation? How do you see this playing out you know, 20, 30 years from now? Well, the question was, will it ever? And I think yes. Uh, yeah. Eventually, we will reach a sort of homogenization of all media on one screen, it, however that shakes out. Um, right now, we're seeing the reverse, though. We're seeing a splintering. We went from just having TV and movies to now we have TV, movie, and Netflix. TV, movie, Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, and CBS All Access, and AMC, and HBO Go, and Showtime. Like, we have so many different platforms now if you want to watch 10 shows a year, you need to sign up for like eight different services or subscriptions right. yeah, or yeah, cable yeah. packages. And But we are seeing a very quick turnaround with uh, theatrical releases. Spider-Man Homecoming came out theatrically like the end of July, and it was on Blu-ray beginning of October. That is a quick like 10 weeks right. for a movie that made $800 million. Like even when – like normally we associate the quick turnaround with movies that do poorly. Even the ones that are approaching a billion dollars worldwide, they're getting out on home video within two to three months. And I think that speaks to 
Uh, one, digital delivery has streamlined everything. Well, you don't have to transfer from celluloid. You can sort of do that process a lot faster. And two, it also speaks to the impatience of the average viewer. It's like, I don't want to, wait, why can't I watch Kingsman Golden Circle on Blu-ray now? Why is this not on Netflix already? Right, Because yeah, it's yeah. literally still in the theater. And they want you to pay the extra 5 to $10 and go see it in person. And there are certain movies and experiences that are still best left to the big screen. I saw Dunkirk and IMAX Laser, and I cannot imagine like uh, diluting that experience right. on anything but the biggest possible screen. That was just like an auditory and visual onslaught. Um, and I feel bad for people that are only going to experience it on like a laptop or a tablet. Um, but I think we will eventually reach a, a point where everything just comes out at once on every platform and you just pay maybe more money or everything's part of one big package. Like what happens when Comcast starts buying movie theaters or they open up their own streaming thing? I don't know. It'll yeah. happen though. Um, and you look at like, you know, movie pass and is all of a sudden kind of the, the Netflix model for the big screen. So, yeah, I think there's a, a homogenization like you're talking about. However, I think what Ethan is asking about even more specifically is the reverse of that in some ways, which is stuff we're used to like Game of Thrones because it's so theatrical. Do you foresee a time when a weekly serialized uh, show is also put out in a community big screen experience? So, you know, for instance, oh, I, I did. I. I did misunderstand the question. Um, I think that is less likely because I don't know if there is – I don't know if it makes sense <coughs> to run anything theatrically for only a week. Um, that is inherently how the old Saturday morning serials used to exist in like the 1940s and 50s. Right. They'd have like these Flash uh, – uh, I'm trying to think of – Flash Gordon is the Star Trek parody. Um, or is Flash Gordon the real one or – The Flash? The real guy. No, no uh, – Flash Gordon Israel. I'm thinking Captain Proton. That's the fake one. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, way, yeah, way back when, before movies uh, started, you would get like a, a five to ten minute trailer of like a, like kind of like a TV show. You would get like a like another chapter of the Flash Gordon serial, and every week you'd go to and see a different movie, and every movie would be preceded by the next chapter of Flash Gordon's thing. So instead of watching TV on TV, you'd go to the theater and watch the next episode before a movie. And I there's I think there is certainly the possibility for that type of format to come back, especially if we're talking about the production level of a Game of Thrones. Um, but it is weird, and I feel like everything is trending in the opposite direction right now. I think I feel like we're going away from theaters and I think we're going more towards home media and that at home experience instead. I don't know. There's something exciting about I think Game of Thrones is the best example. I mean, that it would work with. But there's something really interesting about having a watching party with, you know, 100 or 200 strangers every week. You know what I mean? Like the experience of there, there are very few things that match a viewing experience of content in a, you know, a, a large group setting like that. Um, you know, you can have some friends. Oh, over I agree. And, 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 and I TV. think that that is. That's the kind of thing that exists now with the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Wars or any long-running film franchise is at this point, uh, Thor Ragnarok, which comes out very soon. I think the week this podcast is out. And that's, I think, the 15th release for Marvel in eight year, uh, nine years. So that's two a year. It's not every single week like Game of Thrones, which to be fair, Game of Thrones is only on for like two months. Right. Um, but it's 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 I think it's similar. And you get that community feeling of – 
when I go and see Thor on opening night, there's like an 80% chance these people I'm sitting with are the same people I was sitting with when Spider-Man came out and when Doctor Strange came out. Uh, like It's the same you know, 5,500 people in my local area that see every Marvel movie like the night it comes out. And I, I like that sense of community, and it is definitely a rewarding viewing experience um, that you can't really get on TV just yet. Yeah, and I, I think it's already been done uh, in that I think the last season of Sherlock was released uh, on the big screen. At least the premiere was. Uh, if the Indomitable I'm... Bride was re- released theatrically. You are correct. Yeah. So, I mean, it has been toyed with here and there. Um, but, you know, as far as a week-to-week basis, um, I'm not sure. I can see it happening. But uh, but I think those lines are blurring in a way that uh, that make all those things even more possible. So I, I think, <coughs> while possible, I think... That is the type of treatment that will be reserved um, for like the tentpole moments, the big like series finales or, you know, like the two part special or something, these big, big episodes of existing properties. If they were to do like um, the series finale of Game of Thrones and make it one big like three hour epic, I could see that getting like simul released in Mm -hmm. theaters just to just to sort of drum up the importance and and the sort of the weight of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but otherwise, I, I feel like it definitely would be, um, I feel like, reserved for the for the biggest of episodes and the biggest of properties. It's not something – no one's going to go to the theater to watch the next episode of Two Broke Girls. <laughs> That's it's a just fair not going to happen. That's a fair point. Um, no. I would hope I would hope happen. that no one would go to their living room to watch the next episode of Two Broke Girls, but that's just me. It's <laughs> just me. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, no, I hear you. Thank you, Ethan, for that question. If you've got a Sift Quest that you would like to send us on, feel free to tweet at me at Aaron Dicer hashtag Sift Quest. Uh, you can also DM me on Twitter; that works as well. Or you can email feedback at siftpop.com uh, if you want to do it that way. But thanks, Ethan. We appreciate that. All right, we're going to finish off with some buried treasure, John. Uh, I've been waiting this whole podcast to tell you about my buried treasure, but I'm going to let you go first. What's your buried treasure this week? Oh, you always let me go first. Um, I, this, I asked you beforehand if, if what counts as pop culture. I don't yeah. know if this does, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, my hidden treasure this week is Hoptober, um, which is a film viewing experiment slash exercise um, wherein you watch 31 horror movies in the month of October that fit into a certain group of criteria uh, and also includes a film from uh, the late horror director, um, Todd Hooper. Uh, this is an idea that came that was created by Letterboxd user Cinemonster. And it has caught storm on that website, which is one of my favorite social media platforms, Letterboxd with a D. Um, and like like actual directors um, have been getting into this and sharing their lists. And it's a community of film reviewers who all gather together at the beginning of October, kind of late September, and say, all right, we're going to pick a bunch of horror movies. They can You can have your own list or you can just copy somebody else's. And this year, uh, Cinemonster laid out the criteria that you need to have uh, six different sequels on your list. You need to have three movies that feature people eating people in a non-zombie <laughs> way. So cannibal movies. Non-zombie uh, At least one movie. Right. So you have to have at least one movie that's made from the Hammer Film Studios. 
uh, all the good colorized horror movies from the 50s and 60s, uh, one of the Romero uh, dead movies, six movies before 1970, movies from John Carpenter or Sam Raimi um, or Todd Browning or Wes Craven. So it's you, you have this criteria and you have thousands of people making their lists and That's sharing them and talking about their love of horror. And it is just a really fun community aspect that gives sort of your aimless horror Halloween seasonal viewings a bit more purpose and a bit more, um, I don't know, meaning, I guess. It's, it's so much fun to be part of something bigger, even if it's just watching horror movies for a few weeks. And uh, I, I really dug it because it, it kind of took me outside of my comfort zone and forced me to pick some movies I wouldn't otherwise have watched. I watched uh, a film called Cannibal Ferox last week, which is an Italian cannibalism film from like 1981. It was very weird. It was very gory. And I kind of liked it. And I totally <laughs> would not have even known it exists if not for this experiment. So Interesting. Um, well, it sounds... It's some... called Hoptober. H-O-O-P-tober. Hoptober. Um, wouldn't that be Hooptober? Hoop? There... What did I say? Hop? Hop? Yeah. Hoop? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I said it right the first time, I think. Hooptober. <laughs> um, that sounds like something that appeals to my, uh, my need to, like, like... Listify cre- everything? Yeah, listify everything and create fun, you know, programming, that kind of stuff. But it is, you know, not my favorite genre, so... Uh, it's not mine either, which is, I think, why, what kind of made it easier for me this year is... I had such an open slate, and of the 31 films on my list this year, I've watched about 20 so far. I'm a little bit behind pace. Um, I had only watched like three beforehand, so so many of these I'm, I'm watching for the first time based on the recommendation of, of my friends and other people doing the Hoptober experiment, and huh. uh, it's been really cool so far to just to discover some of these horror classics and these underrated gems and stuff. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's no, that's a good one. That that counts perfectly, man. There ain't no problem with that cool. one. Cool. Um, all right, I'm excited to present this to you, uh, John, and to everyone. But before I do, because I know you, I know you well. Um, I I need, just need to warn you: if you do this, if you try this, you may lose three days of productivity. I'm just warning you ahead of time Uh-oh. that you're spaghetti. You, <laughs> you're about to lose some productivity. Uh, it is a browser game of all things uh, that popped up within the last couple of weeks that has. Owned- I'm not going to take any more of your browser. <laughs> I'm not going to take any more of your game suggestions. Aaron got me hooked on uh, uh, what's it called? Adventure Capitalist mm-hmm. on Android. That's why I'm so excited uh, that game, to tell you that about game- this. Uh, that game sucked. I, I finally uninstalled it a few months ago. <laughs> and are you still playing it? Because I, I I don't know if. There's a lot of replay after the first year I invested in it. <laughs> uh, I, I finally, played, I finally said no. I'm putting this down. I played Adventure Capitalist uh, all the way through twice, uh, so I did beat it twice. Okay. Um, but at, yeah, after that, I didn't like. I beat every planet, every world, um, and then yeah, no, I did too. And eventually, I was like, I gotta just stop. Yeah, this yeah. is sucking the life out of me. Exactly. Well, this is gonna be so. This- get, lay it on me. What What am I gonna get hooked on now? This is the same experience, but a whole different world. Uh, it is uh, called the Paperclip Game, and if you just do a search for the Paperclip Game, you'll find a link to it, um, and you can open it up, and it's basically just a text kind of game where at first it just says make a paper clip and so you just make paper clips 
And then eventually it's like, hey, do you want, you know, a machine that will auto make these paper clips for you? And so then you, you know, you buy the machine based on the paper clips that you've sold. The game does not finish until you have turned every piece of matter in the universe into a paperclip. Uh, and yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. The, the way it goes about, it, it's almost interesting because it's both like the adventure capitalist um, efficiency brain kind of thing where, you know, you're trying to, you know, push buttons at the right time and build your wealth and build machines and those kind of things mixed with this kind of abstract sci-fi kind of ish story thing where I think of, you know, things like, um, the sense of humor of like a, a portal, you know, that kind of thing where you're, you know, figuring out what's yeah, going yeah. on. Uh, it's obviously not graphic like that. It's all kind of text-based button pushing, you know, uh, code on the browser, but, um, but it gets really interesting and really fun. And I don't want to kind of spoil, uh, you know, where it goes, but just when you think you're, you're getting to a place where you've conquered everything you can conquer, uh, it goes to the next stage and um, does that a few times. So uh, it took me the first time to run the entire story. took me about um, 12 hours uh, total, and that's kind of with checking in on it every once in a while. Uh, and then since then, I've be, been able to figure out through efficiency, different things, how to run it in about six hours. So it just depends on how much time you want to spend staring at your computer screen. So there you go. It's That's nuts. The You're paperclip nuts. game. Yes, I, I hate am. You. I hate. I, I hate you in advance. This is a You're preemptive. Welcome. I hate you. You are welcome. Uh, apologize to all the people counting on you for the next couple of days. Uh, you can give them yeah, my name. No, this, I've bookmarked it. I will look at it later. I'm sure it will consume my entire weekend. Well, there you go. We did it. I'm sure of that. We did a podcast, John. Well done. Well done. Woo! Yay! TV and paper clips. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following the feed at Mixler. It's mixler.com slash studio DNA. By the way, that's spelled M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks to today's guru. It's John Paula. John, where can uh, people find more of what you're doing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, might as well check me out on Twitch. I've been doing that a little bit more regularly uh, these days. Twitch.tv slash John Paula, J-O-N-P-A-U-L-A. I do gaming videos. I do IRL hangouts. I also do creative-based streams where I'm photoshopping or doing video tutorials. And I also do uh, movie-related streams where I kind of knock off the Mystery Science Theater 3000 format, where we look at old, like, public domain films or just, like, really seldom-seen, bargain-basement, cheap DVDs. I put my silhouette in the corner. We make fun of jokes. Uh, We make jokes. We make fun of stuff. And I watch the, the movie in real time with my Twitch audience. So if you're in the chat room, you can participate and, like, make your own commentary, and I'll repeat it on the stream. And uh, it's really, really fun. And I'm trying to do that at least once a week. And I think my next one will be this Friday. Um, it's, just, it's so much fun. Twitch.tv slash John Paul. I'm loving it over there. Very nice. Much love and gratitude as well to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show and others on the network possible. Support starts at three bucks a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find out more at patreon.com slash studio DNA. There's lots of ways to connect with the podcast through SoundCloud, Twitter, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, or you can email feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too. 
So let them know about it and that listening is much easier than turning everything in the universe into a paperclip. No spoiler chat this week, but we should be back next week for talk about the new Thor movie. See you then. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.